how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. At Robin Block's company, Creator VC, they focus on community-powered entertainment. The independent producers work on crowdfunded content for superfans. In Search of Darkness is described as an exploration of 80s horror movies through the perspective of actors, directors, producers, and special effects craftspeople. The same is true for In Search of Tomorrow, which is a nostalgic journey through 80s sci-fi films. In this interview, the producer talks about crowdfunding $1 million campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, fair use complications and attorney fees, accepting risk on projects, the three C's of fan entertainment, and why he feels like he's pioneering a new industry. Also listen to our interview with director David Weiner, who directed Darkness and Tomorrow in episode 294. give you the kind of elevator pitch so i started my career um in factual entertainment so my degree at university was in tv production and i moved up the ranks to be a director producer quite quickly so i went around the world making documentaries about musicians and, and all sorts of tv shows and then i moved into corporate media and ran a business uh, a corporate communications company for many years and then when i hit my, you know, my late 30s, I was really sort of disenfranchised with the corporate world. And I wanted to do something that was a lot more intrinsically meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, at the time, um, I was getting really into a few YouTube creators that were doing uh, kind of video retrospectives on my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And I ended up befriending um, a very talented YouTube creator called Oliver Harper from Oliver Harper's Retrospectives. And I was like, mate, I love your channel. I've got a bit of business experience. Perhaps we could put our heads together mm. and, you know, I could help you out of your channel. So we ended up doing like this podcast and taking it on the road and like going to Comic-Con and Forbidden Planet and those kind of things. And then I was like, well, there isn't really a whole lot of commercial opportunity mm. for you in these areas, but why don't we make a big documentary? 
and and um, that became uh, the beginning of In Search of the Last Action Heroes, which is the uh, this way this poster up here, um, which is a, a critically acclaimed look at '80s action movies, and uh, you know the, the rest is history. Um, so we are now working on our fifth documentary. Um, our, we've done we've delivered two four and a half hour horror documentaries, um, which have uh, been very critically acclaimed. And our current project, which is In Search of Tomorrow, uh, I think is the highest grossing crowdfunded documentary in history. So as we speak right now, it's generated, I think about $1.3 million in pre-sales um, and uh, it comes out at the end of the year. Uh, so uh, it's, all, it's all very exciting, hugely rewarding, very complex, uh, challenging and uh, you know, great fun. So tell me a little about, so I've done, I've interviewed some, some big YouTubers. And if you talk about video essays, it seems like it's all technically fair use, but YouTube has an algorithm to limit some things. What changes when you go from YouTube to trying to sell to someone like Shudder, where I think you sold some of your darkness movies to, you yeah. have to have all this information and everything. Yeah, it's a very complex process, very expensive. Yeah. Um, we have some proprietary um, contracts in place. It's a weird one phase because I don't really like talking about it um, because I often get creators writing to me asking me about this and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. You need to do your own due diligence, but it's an expensive process that you absolutely have to get right. I think one of the biggest challenges is YouTube has an algorithm, which means, you know, I wouldn't want to be a YouTube creator using third party content because it's just it's like whack-a-mole with copyright strikes. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when you're working with broadcasters, there is an established process um, that requires you know, very good attorneys, um, quite a lot of money, and uh, a distributor or a broadcaster that is willing to accept certain risks on projects. Hmm. Is there, feel free not to answer this, and I'll cut it if it doesn't, if it doesn't make sense, but if you were doing a two-hour documentary mixed with talking heads and archival footage how much money should go how much money should you pre-plan to go to lawyers is that a number that even makes sense or yeah it, it's really how long is a piece of string right because it isn't it, it depends on the amount of coverage you need which differs depending which territory uh, whether you're in the UK, in the UK you've got fair dealing, in America you've got fair use and you've got safe harbour um, as well. Uh, it, it depends what you're talking about. It's actually quite a complex process. So the number is very variable based on the risk. Um, and the two biggest factors are obviously the attorney fees because that relates to the amount of time, the amount of content that you want to get cleared, but also the insurance number. So a distributor or a broadcaster will have a certain criteria about how much they need to be insured, um, uh, you know, what the liabilities are like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it's not a straightforward, um, I can't give you a straightforward answer, but I would say like, you know, 20 to $30,000, you probably okay. need to sort of have that if you, if you're doing a big, big production. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, I think the reason why that, so instead, if you've got 
darkness, let's say the first one's four and a half hours, uh, could be a 30 minute show. Is the main reason about Blu-ray, um, size on a Blu-ray? Like, how do you kind of think about what you're actually giving to your fans and those people who are crowdfunding? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I'm very, very passionate about um, what I call community powered entertainment. Um, so we're a director consumer company. Um, and so, you know, the deals I've done with Shudder have been nice to have, but they've never been an outcome that I've been like, we need to make this happen. Um, you know, we're in a very fortunate position where we have an extremely high number of dedicated customers that believe in us and, and love our products. And um, we try and keep that dialogue and that, um, uh, that communication, that relationship there all the way through the production life cycle. So we're in a quite a unique position. Um, but, you know, physical media isn't dead. You know, people, you know, when I don't think of us in the as being in the documentary industry or the film industry or the TV industry, I feel like I'm pioneering a brand new industry, you know, which is community-powered entertainment. If you back one of our projects, we want you to be with us for years. We want you to give, you know, the, the Blu-ray with your name in it. We want you to give it to your grandchildren, you know. We're... We're creating more than a documentary. We can, we're creating an experience. So, um, you know, we never just sell a documentary on its own. It always comes packaged with artwork, with a community. We have watch parties every week. We have a Discord. We've brought people together. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a very defensible position because that's a lot of moving parts when you buy into one of our projects. You know, we want you to buy into a community where everybody kind of thinks like you, that digs the same stuff you do. And when we're making um, one of our films, we really talk and engage with our audience and our backers. So right now we're moving into development for In Search of Darkness 3, which is going to be amazing. And we're going to be doing a lot of new stuff for the first time and talk in terms of community engagement. We want to create, and I call it the three C's, right um i came up with this about two days ago i'm quite proud of it the three c's right so you've got um curation so what movies are we going to talk about in in search of darkness 3 mm -hmm. you've got commentary so we want to get the best speakers in the world whether they're the directors of the movies or they're film journalists or you know people who can make you understand and appreciate the work in a new way and the final C is the most important, it's community. If you're part of, if you're with us, if you ride with us, that's it, you're with us, you're part of our family. And we want this to be something that uh, you can watch again and again. And you're looking at about, you know, if you look at the production life cycle, which is about 18 months, you're looking at maybe 70, 80 hours of entertainment, if you include all the activities that we build up and, and the relationships we hope you form in our, in our, in our community. So what were some of your, in the, in the early days of this, you were collaborating with the YouTuber. Um, some people might think, well, I'll just, I'll just make a really great YouTube channel. I'll do a ton of little things. I'll, I'll do every single movie, a 10 minute version of talking about every single movie, interview series, whatever. But you wouldn't get these interviews. People want to be part of something big, right? Is that how you typically think? Like, how do you think about when you're like, oh, I've got an idea. And how do you piece together this big world building type thing? Yeah, it's a really good, um, it's a really good question. So the reality of crowdfunding, 
like my job is not enviable, right? So the biggest challenge with crowdfunding is backer fulfillment, stakeholder communication, manufacturing, shipping, all of that stuff. The making the film part, it's not, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's not the most challenging part of the process. Um, with, you know, with, with YouTube creators, we love working with smaller channels, people who are on the, you know, 50,000, 100,000 plus subs who are kind of starting to get into their groove. There's actually one channel that um, did a great review for us um, called Gory Bits. That's just past like, you know, the theme might be 150,000 subs, great channel, right? Like I love working with creators like that. And I think um, the fact that there's this whole community that's celebrating movies and the value that they offer the fans is they, they allow us to understand something familiar in a brand new way. And that's what's really cool about it. But there's a kind of quantum leap between your YouTube creator doing this work and then the kind of projects we do because there's so much more, um, there's so much more business around it um, and logistics and process. And it gets very complex very quickly. I've got an amazing team at Creative VC. Um, that, are, that are kind of honed to do this work and to keep delivering. Um, but even we find it very challenging. So if you're a single creator, I think that um, you know, YouTube is a great, a great way to build an audience and learn how to get better at your voice. Can you walk me through, I think your, your team's still relatively small, around 10 or 12 people, I think. Um, if you, so let's say when you started in search of tomorrow, you've got some cross promotion because you can share, if you start a new Instagram channel, you can also share it on your, your horror channel. But like what's kind of the bullet points of like, okay, we need to do X, Y, Z before we even start talking about the Kickstarter. Like what are just kind of those temple items? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, we start typically three months out from a Kickstarter. So, um, and it's built into a series of sprints um, leading up to launch date. So we have to be very tactical about when we launch certain things, what else is happening, what other competing events are going on. Um, and also you need to validate your concept. So what's great with validating your concept is social media. So if you've got a concept, put it out on social media, see if people buy it. That's a really good indicator. It's not everything, but it is a really great indicator of whether, you know, you're going to hit, you know, whether you, you, know, you put the bat signal out, are people going to pay attention? Um, and that's a great, great way of doing it. So one of the things we do is we've got a lot of different ideas. We can't do them all. So we need to be able to validate each idea against each other to come up with something that we think is going to have a good chance of getting traction. So it's very much like a startup. Um, with project ideas and we use terminology like minimum viable product we'll create a landing page we'll create a teaser montage and just get it out to people and say Is, are people excited about this are they not you know where it's where it's going to go so with the horror documentary um i put together a, a kind of 90 second just like you know montage and i pushed it out and it went viral like it, everyone jumped on it and i was like wow this is going to be a hit and it was with the sci-fi documentary we did a few things and we got an audience and i brought in like an advisor circle mm -hmm. right at the beginning um and the social media grew and grew we've got 
on the horror, we've got about 100,000 followers on our horror across our horror social network. It's much less than that on sci-fi. What was very interesting is when we did the Kickstarter for the sci-fi project, it really exceeded our expectations. And currently we're just under 11,000 backers. Mm. So the audience for this sci-fi project is absolutely huge. And it's something we, we knew we were onto something, but we never knew how, how big the scale, the scale was. Whereas with horror, we kind of knew this was going to work. But, you, you know, so social media is great, but it's not everything. So where I am now in this journey is if I really believe in, you know, if I really believe in an idea, if I think that um, something can work, I will back it. You know, you win if you give the audience something they didn't know they wanted. That's how you win. You know, you, you, um, you, you can ask them, what do you want? But often they won't know what they want until they see it. So it's a bit of, a little bit of magic in there as well. What would stop you from beginning a Kickstarter? Do you need a certain list of people already associated with the film in terms of like, we've already interviewed 20 people. Like it really, it seems to me that it helps to have those names there, but how do you think about that? So we don't typically do any interviews before a Kickstarter, right? Um, but what we will do is go out, um, we'll go out and find people who are the right people, the best people in the world to speak on this subject and, you know, say, can we, you know, can you be in our documentary? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, brilliant. You know, they're listed as a contributor. Um, <clears throat> what's very important is our backers, I want them to know that they're enabling this journey. They're coming with us. So we do lots of updates. We do lots of interaction. I mean, in, we've, we've just finished our kicks, uh, our Indiegogo for In Search of Tomorrow. We finished that on the um, 5th of May. Well, actually, technically, it was May the 4th, as in like May the 4th be with you. But, and we, we brought in, you know, over 2,700 more backers on that project. And, um, you know, what we've said to everybody is in August, we're going to have a live event where we're going to invite all our backers and myself, my director, David, our producer, we're all going to talk about where we are with the project. We're going to share some, some sequences and show we want everyone to join us on this, on this journey. And so that's why we're so visible and transparent and have all these, you know, community engagements and watch parties and stuff, because we want you to be with us all the way through. You know, I think where creators go wrong with crowdfunding is they'll get the money and then they're afraid to interact with the audience. So you've always got to lead that. You've always got to be very direct and take the initiative. And inevitably, things go south. You know, we knew coronavirus was happening when we did the Kickstarter, but we did not know it would last for so long. So, you know, originally we thought we were going to get this film done by July this year, and we had to push it back seven months. But because of how we announced it, and we announced it with a video with Peter Weller. So he was a huge get for us. Um, you know, I literally didn't get one complaint. And we had like 8,000 backers at that point, which really surprised me. But it just goes to show if you're transparent with people, if you explain that this is what's going on, this is where we are, um, people can be very reasonable. What was the hardest part about the first one in terms of how you were contacting people did you i mean imagine once you get a few people signed on it's easy to say we're talking to xyz but like those first ones you're just pitching an idea what was that kind of like it was like the wild west right <laughs> i loved it i loved it um 
So with the first one we did, I was working with Ollie Harper, the YouTuber who hadn't done anything outside of YouTube. So he didn't have necessarily the experience at that point. He does now, mm. but, but at that point I was more experienced than him. And so um, I was very focused on putting a team around this. And I got very lucky because as we started building up to the Kickstarter, it might've been just after the Kickstarter, um, a chap called Timon Singh got in touch who'd written a book about um, villains from action movies. And the guy is like a walking action genre encyclopedia who's incredibly charming. And we're like, not only have you got all the connections, but you're an accomplished author, but you're like crazy into this stuff. So we literally just sent him on a plane to America, hooked him up with a great cameraman out in LA. And he went around to everyone's house and charmed the pants off everybody. And we got all our interviews and, you know, um, that, that was great. But, but the team we have now at Creator VC is, I think, executing at a world-class level because we're designed to do, do this one thing from conception through to fulfillment. So at every stage in that process now, we have it pretty well mapped out. Can you kind of, um, not maybe not to name names, but if you were to like label who's on the team as if you're gathering a heist together, like we need this guy, this guy, this guy, what does that look like? Is it one social media, one Kickstarter? What's the team look like? Yeah, okay, so um, I, won't, I won't name names, but um, uh, I'll, I'll give you kind of character, character <laughs> characters, so. I'm a producer and I'm an exec producer. So my job ultimately is to take this from conception through to completion. So I need to find a director that I can work with that understands the reality of production, that understands budgetary limitations, all of that kind of stuff. You need to, actually there's a better way of putting this together, right? So in my previous role running a business, um, you know, we were there because we were gonna get paid and it was a job and we, and it was creative, but we were basically haggling with clients and all of that kind of stuff. So the, this world we're in now is, it's the best job in the world. You get to work on your dream projects and there's no cap on how well you can do because it's one of the last meritocracies. You get what you deserve. There's no one in the way saying, oh, that's how much you're worth. Oh, that's the budget. No, there is no budget. The budget is what you can, convince people to say, come on board. That's hugely, hugely liberating for someone like me that really believes in independent creators. Um, and so the team, the biggest thing I look for is intrinsic motivation. I want people to be like, wow, this is so much fun. I can't believe I'm getting to work on these projects and you get the best out of people um, and they get what they deserve. You know, not only it's the double win, you get to work on the best projects of your career and you've got skin in the game. You know, there's no, you know, however well we do, you're part of it. You know, and you get 20% more out of someone when they're really rewarded and they're aligned with the projects. And so in terms of a structure, yeah, we have someone that's covering social media. We have someone who is responsible for outreach and working with affiliate partners. And we have a commercial lead helping us with paid advertising. And it's quite a complex process, um, but, I'm actually, I've just put a new team together for a new project that we're doing about the first person shooter genre. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been really humbling for me going into a brand new audience, working with a brand new team. But I still look for the same things. I still look for the same signals. And, you know, the opportunity I bring to someone is like, do you want to do the best work of your career? 
and get really rewarded with it. That's the pitch. You know, I only ever want to work on projects that I'm really excited about now. And I turn down so many projects that I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to do it for the money. I want to do it because it's going to be a period of my life where I'm like, I'm going to be so proud of this. Each of the posters on the back of my wall, I'm so proud of because I know how much work we put into it, but I also know how the audience felt and what we've done. And that's like the best feeling in the world. Mm. And what is the, the time on these three or four years? Where, where are you at with like start to finish usually? That's a really good question. So um, and it really varies. So in Search of Darkness 1, um, I wrote down the concept for that on the 14th of July, 90, um, uh, 2018. I think we had the Kickstarter in October, 2018. And we delivered the, we had the premiere in Hollywood, uh, Egyptian theater on the 6th of October, 2019. So that was like a full on year where it just like took up my life. In Search of Darkness 2, because we'd shot so much material, but half of it we had in the can, um, we actually pulled that together in just over six months. Mm. Um, but if I look at In Search of Tomorrow, that would have been a three year project from literally concept to finish. Mm -hmm. And so you're really approaching this from a creative and marketing angle. How are you thinking about longevity? It seems like you've got Kickstarter money, Indiegogo money, Blu-ray sales, and then potentially you could sell Blu-rays and everything else forever. Imagine when the third one comes out, you'll sell more of the first one for darkness as well. How do you think about some of those things for like, we want to sell these forever kind of thing? Um, I don't look at it like that. In fact, we create a lot of scarcity around our product. So we don't, I'm not interested. Don't want to sound arrogant. I'm not interested in the general audience, right? Uh, if you want to spend 10 bucks on a Blu-ray, we're not your guys. Okay. If you want to find us on iTunes, we're not your guys. Hmm. We deliberately make it hard for you to find us because we only want super fans, right? If you look at the way, you, are you on Instagram? Yeah. Right. I bet nobody in the world follows the exact same accounts you do. Right. So your media interest on Instagram is unique to you. So what we're finding now in this environment is our media experiences are heavily fragmented. Mm. What happens in that environment is you get these deep pockets of engagement where super fans come together, right? So I look for niches where you've got that deep body of engagement. Um, and I want to create something for that audience, you know? Mm. Our median investment, it's not even actually an investment because it's, it's rewards-based crowdfunding, but our media, median backer amount is um, about $100, which is quite a lot for a film. But that's what we want. We want the people that are going to really invest and be part of it. We want to have an impact on people's lives. That's the kind of level that I'm playing with. So what you find is when we do uh, do a, a, a sale, a physical sale, um, and it ends... Uh, and let's say, like in Search of Darkness 2, um, the collector's edition, and we did a few collector's editions, that's about 80 bucks, including shipping. If you look on eBay now, they go for three, $400, right? It, you know, it's like the Bitcoin of, <laughs> of physical media. Um, but, you know, it's not, uh, we're not for everybody by design. 
Um, and, you know, I want to attract people that really want to be part of something. I, I don't want you just to throw it on and watch it and not care about it. I want you to be like, that's my name in there. Mm. That's part of me. That's going to exist forever. And it's, it's on this, you know, like I want it to be handed down through generations. And also, you know, especially with these 80s movies, you know, not, not all of the contributors we feature are going to be around forever. So I do think there's a historical element. There's a, a, an element where we're introducing a brand new audience to revisit these films. Um, and ultimately, it's quite a unique entertainment product. And um, that's what, you know, that, that really gets me out of bed. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.